When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This 80s flick is sometimes described as better off dead goes to the beach because it reunites young leading man John Cusack with writer-director Savage Steve Holland for a tale of teenage angst and the quest to find love. This time the quest takes us to Nantucket where our lead gets involved with cute and fuzzy bunnies, snobby preppies, insane mechanics, a killer dolphin with rabies, and a hippie-ish singer about to lose her house to a very rich lobster restaurant magnet. So don't miss the ferry and don't forget to pay your tab for Granny's dinner as Nicholas Pepin and I discuss One Crazy Summer on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. It's going to be One Crazy Summer for John Cusack, one slightly off basketball player, for Demi Moore, one slightly soaked hitchhiker, for Bobcat Goldthwait. Hey, look, boy, will you hold on to this for me? One slightly strange babysitter. Ah! Sorry! And for all their slightly insane friends, it's going to be One Crazy Summer. Rated PG. Starts Friday. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. Uh, So glad to have you back with us. It is a new season, season five. It's crazy to think that um, I'm in a season five of a podcast. So, So, yeah, we got a new logo. You know, new uh, intro music. Give it a little bit of a fresh face after two years and and four seasons. Uh, but I hope you guys like it. And uh, just want to remind you to follow us on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. 
Uh, I have got to get back on TikTok. I've, I kind of let some time lapse, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to get back. Well, I was kind of waiting for to release the new logo before I did some new stuff. So uh, that may be why there was a lag there. And then uh, before we get started, I just want to ask you guys, help us support the podcast. I've never really, in all the four seasons we've done so far, I've never really pushed supporting the podcast. I want the podcast to be free. I don't do this for money. Uh, getting money would be nice, but it's not the reason that I do the podcast. It, it's an interesting time we are in now, but it, it costs money to make a podcast. Uh, the website costs money every month. Now Zoom uh, that we use to a lot of my interviews is now charging as we can't do free stuff on Zoom anymore. And then renting movies and things of that nature. Uh, it does add up. And, you know, if you like the podcast, you love us, you want to support us. It's not that we got there. I think there's three tiers that you can support. Find in the show notes. But if you want to support us, please support us. We'd appreciate it. All right. So now that I got all that, that stuff out of the way, <laughs> let's talk about this awesome movie. And let me introduce okay. my co-host once again from Pop Culture Roulette Podcast, my good friend, Nicholas Pepin, who was on our podcast about Better Off Dead. So I had to have him back for one crazy summer. Which How's it going, Nicholas? Oh, man, it's it's good. Um Man, I, that that's a lot of information coming at me all of a sudden. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm really glad I'm back for this one. Um, I I know we're gonna get to it eventually, but uh, I, somehow I don't actually think I'd ever seen this one before. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because I, I I mean I've watched it I watched it for this, and I was like I don't remember any of this. Oh wow! I mean wow. I loved it. I mean, yeah. I, if if I hadn't, I mean, if I hadn't done the research ahead of time, yeah, I would have. I would have immediately been like, "This feels like a direct sequel to Better Off Dead." <laughs> um, and yeah. if we remember that episode, if it, your listeners remember that episode, I that's one of my all time favorite movies. So, oh, this, yeah. like this one is just. I mean, it's a little bit crazier, but I, yeah. I loved it. I yeah, mean, it was it was amazing. There's there's some really good stuff we're gonna get to in this one. We're going to get into it a little bit, I think, but can I answer the question about when did you see One Crazy Summer for the first time? Was it like this week? Uh, about two weeks ago, because <laughs> um, I know I know we had talked um, at some point about when we would do another episode. Right, right. Um, and so I, you know, we had said something about when I get home from my vacation about doing One Crazy Summer. So I got home from my vacation mm-hmm. and I watched it and I was like, this movie is great. How have I never seen this before? <laughs> One, it's a sequel. It, I mean, come on, let's yeah, it. it's, it's, it's a sequel. Better off sequel. Yeah, yeah. I love John Cusack. I, this, I was mad at myself. I really was. <laughs> I, You've cheated yourself all these years for decades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is one like, and I, I want to say that I saw this one. I think we talked about this on the Better Off Dead episode, but I think I saw this one first and I saw Better Off Dead much later. So this one I've kind of been has kind of been my favorite for a long time because I'd seen it more times. But after watching Better Off Dead for the episode we did before, I was like, man, this one's so good. So it's it's kind of hard to say which one is better because I, I there there are things of this one that I like a lot, but there's things in Better Off Dead I like, like a lot. So they're really kind of neck and neck for me. I I wonder had I seen this one first if I would like it more. Yeah, but I obviously I saw Better Off Dead first. Cause- right. You know, I've been watching that one since, you know, 80 something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what's cool is that you get, you know, you can watch Better Off Dead in the winter and One Crazy Summer in the summer. 
and feel like, you know, you get them in once a year without kind of overlapping each other. So it right. is kind of cool yeah. that you can do it that way. When was the last time you saw it before watching the podcast, but you've only seen it, I guess you've seen it twice now, right? Since, yeah, I've watched it twice. Yeah. yeah. I watched this one last summer and then another podcast to listen to buzzing the tower. So shout out to Mo and Max at buzzing the tower in one of their episodes before they kind of got talking about better off dead and one crazy summer. I'm like, we're just going to do an episode about one crazy summer. And so then after I listened, I was like, I've got to watch it again. Cause I haven't, I hadn't seen it in probably maybe four or five years, because if, if it would pop up on one of the cable channels or one of the, tr- on one of the streaming channels, and I saw it was going to be on, I would make sure that I watched it while it was available. And so I've seen it several times over the last probably 10, 15 years, but, but I did watch it last summer. So I was excited about doing it again this summer. And when I watched it this morning, it was like, it's like, it's like putting on a comfortable coat or like a a comfortable pair of, of swim trunks that you, that you've had for a while that, you know, fit really well. And, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, anything you just enjoy wearing them or whatever. So uh, maybe a weird analogy, but I tried. I, I get it. I, I can easily see this movie finding its way into into some sort of rotation for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. With with a bunch of my other 80s movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I will say when I think of like a quote unquote summer movie, like I know a lot of people think about maybe I'm weird, but some people think about like summer blockbusters, like movies that came out in the summer that aren't necessarily set at summertime. When I think of like a summer movie that I think about, I watched, I think, during the summer. So therefore, it, it has that nostalgic feeling to it, but it's also set at summer. And heck, the name is One Crazy Summer, so it makes sense. But like this one, vacation, uh, summer rental, great outdoors, like it's it's yeah. in that it's in that that same list of movies that when it comes to summer vacation, these are the kind this this is the kind of movie that I want to watch. Which literally every one of the movies you just met you know, mentioned, I've watched mm-hmm. and, and and probably more than once. Summer Rental is a little bit hazier for me. <laughs> I know I've seen it. Yeah. Um, a lot of parallels but, in those in that movie and this movie, which is crazy. Uh, uh, but somehow this one, I've just, I don't, <laughs> and like I said, I'm a massive John Cusack fan, so I don't know how right. I missed this one. Right. <laughs> he's got a few, you know, he's got a few from the 80s that people forget about. I know I, doing my forgotten 80s flicks on TikTok, I threw out Hot Pursuit, which people were like, oh, my gosh, how have I never heard of this time, this this uh, John Cusack movie? And it was not a very popular movie. I mean, I saw it. I think I talked about this on one of the episodes, uh, the little movie theater on the military base when I was in before I got to Georgia. Um, they would play movies there. And usually it was like second run or like, you know, like during the week, it would be like not the blockbuster movies. So I think it was one of those that like it was playing like on a Wednesday. And so I went to see it and I saw it in the theater, but I never remember seeing any of the ads for it or it wasn't one they really played on cable a lot. But it's and it's not one of his best movies, but it's, you know, it's typical John Cusack. Let's jump into story origin and pre-production. I did want to read this uh, since we last spoke. We, you know, we talked we we did our episode about better off dead and then of course if you haven't gone back and listened to that episode please do so and then a couple of like a month or so later i had the awesome opportunity to interview diane franklin who was part of better off dead and talked about savage steve holland which we both like how does step savage steve get this name like is is he a wrestler is he a movie director like how do you get this name so she has a book called the excellent comedy of the last american french exchange babe of the 80s 
also known as the Better Off Dead movie tribute book. But uh, Savage Steve actually did the foreword for the book, and he was a big con- contributor, which he talked about that in the podcast. But I want to read this little part uh, in the book where Savage Steve himself tells the story of how he came up with the name Savage Steve, which I don't think Nicholas knows this already. So this is going to be fun. I don't think I do know this. Yeah. So uh, this is his own words. So he says, I grew up on the mean streets, uh, lawns of Greenwich, Connecticut. The time was the 1960s into the 1970s. As a kid, my greatest early achievement was being the second fattest kid in elementary school. My next big score was being the first kid to need eyeglasses before the third grade. Luckily, I made one friend, a really funny kid named Charles DeMar. Where did we hear that name before? (laughs) Charles seemed older and wiser than most kids our age. He was a very confident person. I was not. So he talked me into doing things I normally wouldn't even consider, like participating in team sports. To me, a quote unquote sport was running after an ice cream truck. So tubby kid with glasses and soccer, what could go wrong? During one game, while desperately trying to get my jello-like jiggly leg to connect with the ball, I accidentally kicked an opposing player kid in the face and knocked his tooth out. It was a baby tooth, so actually no big deal, but I didn't know that, and seeing all the blood, I burst into tears. Kids on both teams laughed at the blubbering little four-eyed fatty and called me Savage Steve. I figured years later this cruel nickname might actually sound cool. What the heck? I embraced it. So... (laughs) That's how he got the name Savage Steve. All right. Uh, not how I saw that going, but it, <laughs> I mean, I guess it makes sense based on both of the movies. So, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, we talked about Better Off Dead. I think some of the cash flow. And then when they heard the name Savage Steve, they didn't expect the guy they met, you know, when they when they actually met him on, on filming. So he is. And even looking at his pictures, like, I mean, there's pictures of him in the book from when they were filming Better Off Dead. And like, you know, you think of Savage Steve, I'm just thinking of like, you think of a wrestler, even like, uh, was it uh, John McCusack, who's in this movie, who played football, like this big intimidating figure, and he's really not at all. So, which I just think is, but that that fits his comedy. It's not what you would expect. No. Yeah. Just like Better Off Dead. And, and as you said, One Crazy Summer is not one of those, it's not in the list of top 10 80s movies. So there's not a whole lot of, articles and things about it out there to get a lot of backstory but i was able to find a little bit excuse me some interviews with savage steve so here's what i got for the story origin and pre-production while savage steve claims he felt satisfied just getting to make the movie he'd set out to make being better off dead one of the producers was more optimistic about its chances of being a hit he urged the director to get ready for the opportunities that might come his way upon its release by writing his next script before better off dead even hit the theaters In a competitive rush to how he'd written his first film, Holland banged on a script that took place in a quaint seaside village. Holland said, really, I just wanted to be able to hang out in Cape Cod for the summer, so I figured I'd set a story there and see what happens. While Holland was laboring away on his script, Warner Brothers began screen testing Better Off Dead. The results were overwhelmingly positive. It tested so well with 18 to 25-year-olds, Warner sent the director out on a tour to screen the movie and talk about it at colleges. The response to this tour was also phenomenal, and Warner wanted to lock down Holland's next project, too. Even though the screenplay was in much rougher shape than the first film, the studio snapped it up. It was a firm display of how confident the executives were that everyone would love Better Off Dead. Unfortunately, everyone did not end up loving (laughs) Better Off Dead, 
The movie ultimately grossed $10 million in its theatrical run, about a third of what its hoped-for predecessor, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, had made. Even more distressing for Holland, the star of the movie was among its detractors. According to various sources, we've talked about this before, Cusack didn't find the finished product as dark or surreal, quote-unquote, as it had seemed in the script. He was reportedly uncooperative with press for Better Off Dead and emotionally checked out during half of the filming of One Crazy Summer. For Warner Brothers' part, the studio was so disappointed with the receipts from Better Off Dead, they pulled out much of the marketing budget for the follow-up. So that just goes to show why it's not as well-known, I think, as Better Off Dead, even though Better Off Dead was not that big of a hit. It probably had a little bit more marketing behind it, so more people saw it than One Crazy Summer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also crazy to see how different the, the marketing or just the video market is now from, mm-hmm. you know, then like, you know, if you didn't make it in the theaters, like you were considered a bomb. And now it's like, well, you didn't make it in the theaters. Wait two weeks. We'll put you on stream. And then, right. Right. You know, then we'll see. I mean, you got or, or for that matter, just movies skipping the theaters altogether. But mm-hmm. I mean, you have a movie you know, probably about a decade after Better Off Dead or One Crazy Summer with like ball rats that just bombed in the theaters and everybody right. was like, that's going to end Kevin Smith's career. <laughs> and now now that's the movie that everybody talks about as like right. one of their all-time favorites. So, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's just, it's like, it's crazy to think like if, if this had happened in the 90s, Savage Steve would probably have a, a f- career similar to that. Yeah. But he just, he happened to be at the too early end of the process of, of blockbuster you know, being yeah. uh, you know, the home video was not was just a burgeoning market at that point. So yeah, well, you kind of think about it. I mean, if you follow Steve's Savage Steve's career, and they call him Savage, not Steve, so I got to be better with that. But anyway, if you follow Savage's career, he was he really made his claim to fame in television with Nickelodeon and the shows that he did there. So I think TV is probably more his medium, which is probably why these movies probably did better. Like this isn't one that I feel like I'd have to see on the big screen. It doesn't have that same. No. It's not that same kind of movie, but it works well for video. I think me and Danny Johnson talked about this with Three Amigos, where Three Amigos didn't do very well at the box office either. But it's still a great movie. But it it seems to fit really well for TV, which you know, in the day and age we're in now, that's what you know. I guess every studio is trying to figure out is like what is big screen worthy and what's you know straight to streaming, where people are going to want to watch it at home more so than going to the theater. And it's a totally different conversation now than it was in the eighties, of course, but I can see where this one. And, and once again, it may be because I saw it on TV or I saw it on the, I don't I don't think I saw this one on cable. I think I rented this one. So I think like the video stores being able to rent it and seeing it at home, probably it probably just kind of fit better there than in the theater movie going experience. Yeah, I mean, and I, you can see that there have been certain movies of the 80s that have found, like, Better Off Dead was not, or One Crazy Summer were not that big in the 80s. Obviously, they both kind of bombed in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, Better Off Dead, I think, a little bit more than One Crazy Summer has definitely found that, that cult status. Oh, yeah, for sure. And now, these messages. <sighs> What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. 
Pop Culture Roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about casting. And so I'll skip over uh, some of the recurring cast that came from Better Off Dead, because we kind of talked about them already. Uh, that being John Cusack as Hoops McCann and Curtis Armstrong as Ak Ak Raymond, <laughs> uh, which is which I will say like you know well we can I, so we kind of said it's like a pseudo sequel. I mean Cusack is basically playing the same person. That's that's pretty yeah. much evident. Armstrong in the hand, Ak Ak is a very different character than Charles Demar. Yes. Which I liked. I liked him in this one. I might have liked him a little bit more in this one. I liked him as kind of the more softer. I'm sure he's next on your list, but Joel Murray. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like he's more of the Charles DeMar character. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's on the list. We'll, we'll get to him. So but one funny thing about Ak Ak Raymond. Ak Ak is a military nickname for anti-aircraft artillery. And the ACK is actually the airport code for Nantucket Airport. Mm. Savage Steve being Savage Steve with his writing. So then we'll talk about Demi Moore. And this was, you know, this was before Demi Moore was really like, she'd done movies, but she was not a list star that she was kind of later in the 80s. Just a little backstory on her. After making her film debut in 1981, she appeared on the soap opera General Hospital and subsequently gained recognition as a member of the Brat Pack with roles in Blame It on Rio in 84, St. Emil's Fire in 85, and About Last Night in 86, just to name a few. So I didn't put it in my notes, but this one and About Last Night came out a few months apart, but I think she filmed this one. I can't remember which one she filmed first. I think she filmed St. Elmo's Fire. No, I'm sorry. She filmed About Last Night first before this one, but this one came out before About Last Night. So anyway. It's neither here nor there, but that was some people say that was more of her breakout role than even St. Elmo's Fire, even though I've never seen about last night. <laughs> I don't think I have either, actually. Yeah. I mean, she was good in St. Elmo's Fire. This was also after her stint in rehab because she had become highly addicted to drugs. And that was one of the reasons why I think for about last night, she had to be clean before she was able to do that because I think she was pretty well intoxicated for most of St. Elmo's Fire, which is why. It's probably not one of her better performances, I think. I also don't know if I've ever seen St. Elmo's Fire. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to work on that. All right. 
I remember watching Sadomo's Fire, and I'm sure we'll cover it at some point, so I'll, I'll retell the story later. But I remember seeing it in high school, like middle high, like uh, like junior year high school, and really liked it. Like I really thought it was really a good movie. And then I watched it again, like a couple of years later as an adult. And I was like, this movie is so stupid. I mean, like, that's what I mean. It's like, it's just, but it's, it's about, you know, people fresh out of college trying to figure out their life in, you know, their twenties. And so like, as a teenager, like, oh, that's such a cool concept is a great movie. And then as someone in their thirties going on 40, it was like, they're making some of the dumbest decisions you would ever make. <laughs> but when you're in your twenties, that's kind of what you do. So I guess it makes sense, but uh, yeah. But yeah. I always like the soundtrack for it. I think probably more than I like the movie, but it's it's definitely worth checking out just for the I, sake of seeing the Brat Pack. You know, you got Estevez, Demi Moore, Rob Lowe. Those are the ones that stand out to me. I mean, I, I feel like I've always known about that movie. So there's yeah. a chance that I saw it and I'm just not remembering. Yeah, it, it's but... possible. Like, I mean, even thinking about it now, it's like, I can't tell you, like, I don't remember all the scenes. Like, there's a few scenes that kind of stick in my head but it's not one that I've seen so many times that I remember it that well. So moving on lots of uh, cast to, to talk about. So then we got Bobcat Goldthwaite as egg stork. Goldthwaite decided on a career as a comedian at an early age and was performing professionally while still in high school at the age of 15. He and his classmate, Tom Kenny performed in a comedy duo, billing themselves as Bobcat and Tomcat. He then became recognized as a solo stand-up comedian and had three televised concert specials in the eighties. And his first major film role was in Police Academy 2, their first assignment in 85. He reprised the role in the next two films in the series and also had roles in other 80s comedies like Burglar with Whoopi Goldberg and Scrooge with Bill Murray. So this was after Police Academy 2. There's nobody else like Bobcat Goldthwaite. No, he is uh, immediately recognizable. Yeah. Um, and, and there's times this I'm like, he is the star of this movie. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, I know like, Cusack is the lead, but he's the he's the character you remember the most. Well, I mean, I think I think that's the same like with like Police Academy too, and I'm sure you'll get there oh, eventually. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but like, I feel like there's just a lot of like even Scrooge, like they yeah. just like yeah. he has a presence about him when when he's on screen that he just kind of like he's he's a scene chewer definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you know, I mean, he's going on to directing he doesn't really do so mm-hmm. much acting but yeah uh, yeah and and he's kind of dropped the voice yeah uh, yeah which i you know i always wondered if that was a was a put on and so mm-hmm. i guess it was kind of disappointing to find out it was <laughs> but also at the same time it's like all right i guess that makes sense that it was a put on mm-hmm. i was reading about the commentary for like the dvd and blu-ray of one crazy summer which is i think savage savage gold white and murray I think are the three on it. And somebody was like, and Bobcat doesn't do his voice. Like he's talking normal. So you kind of forget that it's him talking in the commentary. So I'm going to definitely have to pick that up at some point. I mean, I'm going to add this to my Blu-ray collection at some point, but um, to listen to the commentary, but they said there wasn't a whole lot of, there wasn't a whole lot of information in the commentaries. I'm kind of like, you know, they were kind of egging each other on with different things more than they were talking about the movie. Uh, But anyway, so uh, eventually I'll, I'll listen to that at some point. So, and then uh, playing his brother, Clay Stork, we have Tom Villard. Tom moved from New York to Los Angeles in 1980. During Tom's film career, he landed roles in numerous films and television shows like Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood in 86 and Grease 2 in 1982. 
<laughs> Forgot all about Grease too, didn't you? Uh, no, I just I, I refuse to watch that, just like I refuse to watch <laughs> Grease. So. Yeah, I actually rewatched uh, Heartbreak Ridge. Uh, what around Memorial Day, I think, uh, with Clint Eastwood, and he has a very small part in it, but it's a memorable. But it, it doesn't. He's he doesn't have as big of a role as other people in it, but uh, I definitely recognized him. And I knew I'd seen him in other 80s stuff, but then when he popped up on this one, I was like, oh, that's where I recognized him from last time. So, Yeah, I, I recognized him immediately. Uh, and I looked through his list and I was like, so you seen him in that, seen him in that, or yeah, he yeah. was aware of this and I was aware. So like he was he was kind of one of those like that guys. Yeah. For, yeah. You know. And he's kind of like Bobcat where he's playing the same character pretty much in every movie. I mean, that you know, that the the persona that he has in this movie is pretty much what he plays, kind of the wimpy, wimpy character for sure. So then you mentioned Joel Murray as George Calamari. What a last name. <laughs> uh, one of nine siblings. He's the younger brother of actors Bill Murray, Brian Doyle Murray, and John Murray, uh, which I knew that. Joel was a founding member of Chicago's Improv Olympic and also a member of the famed Second City for five years. Uh, but one crazy summer was his film debut. I, you know, it's it's amazing when you see the Murray brothers. How mm-hmm. you're just like, I mean, none of them really look like Bill Murray, but they all kind of look like each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they definitely all sound alike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The one scene where it was like, "That's definitely Bill Murray's brother," is when I think they're when they've got they had the uh the big advertiser for cassandra at the dewdrop inn and it's like the, the place is full of people and he goes up to the table and he tells like the guy you can tell he's talking to the guy like hey there's a phone call for you whatever and then the guy leaves and he looks he's like ladies and it's like that kind of suave debonair i was like that is such a bill murray move that he just did right there i was like well it's his brother so he he pulled it off really well like that that scene yeah. was i was like that's definitely bill murray's brother so and fun fact, there the redhead of the uh, that's on the right is Savage's younger sister, uh, who was also had a cameo in Better Off Dead as well. Oh, okay. Joel Murray also stated in an AV Club interview that he did not think he would be cast as George Calamari because Jeremy Piven was also auditioning for the same role and was best friends with John Cusack. To Murray's surprise, Piven was cast as Ty instead, and Murray got the part. Which I I can't see Jeremy Piven playing. George Calamari. I think Piven is perfectly cast as the that yes the I, the the word I don't I don't want to say, but we all know the right a, the a hole right he <laughs> that the the character he plays in almost every movie right right exactly uh, and we'll get to Teddy eventually, but Teddy anyway all right moving on uh, <laughs> I, I did for Jeremy Piven I did yeah. write one thing go ahead uh, apparently he is ageless. Yeah, he hasn't he aged popped, much. Yeah, he popped up on screen, and I'm like, "This is his first movie. He looks the same now as from then that he does now. Mm-hmm. Like the man, the man knows something that the rest of us don't." But well, his hairline was definitely receding well, early okay. on because that's part of it. Because like even because he's in say I watched Say Anything, which is another John Cusack movie. I watched that a couple weeks ago, and he's in that, and they're like they're trying to make him look younger in that as well, like fresh out of high school. And like, dude, you gotta they gotta put a hat on him or something because his sitting hairline basically shows he's like thirty five or whatever. It's like he aged, he like aged young, 
but he held on to that aged look for so long. So it's like, it's just, it is kind of weird. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did make mention uh, on my notes about the age of everybody. And mm-hmm. like this, they were supposed to be graduating high school. Right. Right. And, and like they were all in their twenties. Hell, Curtis Armstrong was 33. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's what I liked about this one is they didn't, he was a friends with them, but he wasn't like a schoolmate with them. So okay, I could, yeah. I took it as him right. being older and not really, I mean, they still try to make him like young, but he seemed younger in this than he did in better off dead, which came out what two years before this or a year yeah, before this. True. Yeah, that is true. He definitely yeah. did come off younger. Yeah. He was also clean shaven, which probably helped gave him a little more of the baby face. Right. There's just so many people in this that I try to like scale it down, but there's some people just, ha- just quick mentions, but William Hickey as old man Beckerstead and William Hickey, of course, is best known as uncle Lewis from national lampoons Christmas vacation. So he's yep. got a like very small part, but I had to mention that uh, Joe flattery or uh, flaherty uh, flattery as we'll call him as general Raymond uh, Akak's dad, uh, best known for Happy Gilmore in 96, Back to the Future Part 2 in 89, and as a member of SCTV Network. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen him in all kinds of stuff, but he was he was good as Akak's dad. Yeah, and I had him listed as a, he was in a, one of those guys. Because I saw him and I was like, yeah. that's the guy from Happy Gilmore. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's that guy, yeah. So exactly. You will not make that putt, and I won't finish that. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, quote. yeah. Uh, and then Mark Metcalf as, and I didn't even know this was his name, Aguila, Aguila, Beckerstead, Teddy's dad. I like, I knew he looked familiar and I couldn't place where he was familiar from. And then in, in doing my research, he played the father in the intro to Twisted Sisters music video. We're not going to take it. Uh-huh. Reprising his sadistic saliva spraying ROTC Niedermeyer persona and line from National Lampoon's Animal House, which I, I think I've seen Animal House like maybe once, but it was so, so long ago. But I saw that Twisted Sister video so many times as a kid that when I saw it, I was like, that's the guy. That's that's the guy. I've I've seen Animal House multiple times. Yeah. So I knew that I was like, I didn't immediately go, that's the guy from Animal House. But I was like, that guy looks familiar. When I saw that, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's where I know it. <laughs> All right. So moving right along with our cast, John Matusak, I think that's how you say his name, as Stain. And actually, when I saw him on, on the list of cast, I thought he was in the movie more until I watched it. I was like, oh, he just has this one little part as the biker that's chasing Cassandra at the beginning. Uh, but as we everyone knows, Matu- or don't know, Matusak played for various NFL teams. His longest stint of six years having been spent with the Oakland or Los Angeles Raiders and later joining the Houston Oilers. While playing for the Oilers, he joined the Houston Texans of the World Football League. Uh, while playing for the Oilers, he joined the Houston Texans of the World Football League, the WFL, playing a total of seven plays before a restraining order was served him during a game, barring him from playing for two teams at the same time. So that's pretty wild. It was so wild I had to leave it in there. But uh, his first major role as an actor was in the 1979 movie North Dallas 40 <clears throat> as a football player. He also appeared in the movies Caveman, The Ice Pirates, One Crazy Summer, as we're talking about, but is best known for his role as, do you know? Um, I feel like I should know, and you're going to say, I, but it's not coming to mind, because what I was thinking of is not the same guy. So He was Sloth in The Goonies. That's not who I was thinking of, but <laughs> Wow. But of course, I, I mean, he's he's totally looks different because of the makeup they did. Yeah, yeah that's, I forgot that's who that was. Yep. Okay, because yep. yeah, you're right. I mean, the makeup on Sloth is, is yeah, uh, yeah. 
but that's him. So like, look at his range. He's a <laughs> punk biker guy with fish stuck in his hair and one crazy summer to being we're, we're uh, a punk biker guy with plaid pants and red, yeah. for some reason, <laughs> yeah. pink hair. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he just just went for it. Like just, it's like savage, like just go in the road wardrobe and pick something out. doesn't matter. And that's what he came out with. So, so then we got Kimberly Foster as cookie Campbell. Uh, she was primarily known for her guest work on eighties TV shows, Knight Rider and the A-Team. She made her film debut. A lot of those on one crazy summer. We had a lot of film debuts in this one and followed it up with following year with a role in Dragnet with Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, which I need to watch again soon. Cause it keeps coming up in my eighties groups about dragnet i was like i know i saw it but i didn't like it and i think i want to watch it again so i remember enjoying it but it's also been like 30 years since i've seen it so yeah i think i didn't understand like the humor of it like i didn't get the well i never watched the tv show and so like i know dan acro was really trying to be like the more like the actual 50s style cop and then hanks was more the wild and crazy current guy so I just I need to watch it again and maybe I'll maybe I'll still not like it as much or maybe I will like it. I don't know I just it pops up every once in a while like man I really need to go back and watch that movie again but anyway but Kimberly Foster I mean she's one when she first came out of uh was it Teddy's car at the beginning when he pulls up and Cusack kind of falls on the car and they have that interaction but when she first popped up I was like she's got to be 35 years old she does not look like <laughs> a teenage girl she's a full-grown woman yeah, no, but uh, like you said about with Curtis Armstrong, they never, other than Joel Murray and and uh, John Cusack, Cusack, right? They never actually. And and the second time I watched through, because the first time I was like, oh man, these people, like Joel Murray, is clearly not in high school, right? Right. Um, but then I, then I realized like they never actually specifically said any of other than those two mm-hmm. that they were in high school, right? Right. So you know. I guess because it's summer, it doesn't. It's not as important of a of a right. note, I guess. But yeah, but she was. I mean, she was. She was okay in this. Like, I guess she was somewhat the Beth role from Better Off Dead, where it's the one he thinks he wants, but not the one he's right for. But I do love at the end when uh, George looks at her, at, you know, after they win the regatta, and he's like, "Why don't we stop playing all these games?" And she's just like, "Oh, okay, yeah." It's like. It's like what a what a suave move! Like he finally, you know, and and kind of out of left field. Yeah, like they exactly. Had, they really had never spoken to each no. other the entire yeah, movie, right? Right. So, which I don't know what if that says anything about her and her <laughs> character, just as superficial as it is. Uh, uh, yeah, it might. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, let's let's think about it. I mean, she's dating Teddy. She sees Cusack what hoops like once, and it's like, oh, I want to go to the to drive in and make out with this guy that I know nothing about while I'm in a relationship with this other guy. So yeah, doesn't, doesn't speak too highly of, of her, I would say. No, not really. Yeah. All right. Moving on before I start getting hate mail. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then we got Matt Mulhern as Teddy. Teddy is probably my, he might be my favorite character in this just because it's so cartoonish is not the best word, but it's so outlandish. And he's such the, he's such the man child, and probably my favorite. Every time I see it, when he's doing his laps with the arm, <laughs> with the arm, floating, with the water wings, water wing. Oh man! Every time, Dad, I'm doing my laps, doing my laps, <laughs> in, uh, in a pool that's clearly like barely four feet, feet right, deep. Right, 
right? Like you're not going to drown. That's just so funny. So funny. But anyway, Matt was in the original cast of Neil Simon's Tony Award winning Biloxi Blues. And we said it before, One Crazy Summer was his film debut. Uh, He was also in Extreme Prejudice with Nick Nolte in 87. And he reprised his Broadway role in the film version of Biloxi Blues with Matthew Broderick in 1988. That's another one I need to watch again because I watched that a lot when I was younger and uh, haven't seen that in a long time. But I forgot that he until I read that, I was like, oh, that's where I knew him from because he was in that as well. Uh, totally different character, but um, but yeah, Teddy is just Teddy's hilarious. When his dad uh, shooting the the crossbow, and why is his dad shooting at lobster? Like, what? Why? Why is lobster his target? I don't know. <laughs> so many interesting choices in the movie. Anyway, okay, so we'll, we're about getting scenes in just a minute. So cameos. I had to mention these. If you don't know who Rich Little is, but Rich Little was the radio contest DJ, but Back in the 80s, especially on HBO, Rich Little did all these specials. He was a master impersonator in the 80s. He did like impersonations like everybody. So did you know who Rich Little was? Yes. Okay. Like, I feel like he would did a lot of cartoons. Are there? Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember, I think he was just one of those guys in the 80s that was on every TV show. Yeah, he was was like a guest star on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, like whatever my parents were watching, he was probably on Johnny Carson all the time. All the time. Yep. Um, yep. So like I it's I don't I can't tell you any one thing. I oh, that's where I know I'm from. Mm-hmm. But like I just have always known he existed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because like I wouldn't have guessed that was him on the radio. So like when he pops up at the end as being like the radio DJ, like I remember as a kid, like, oh, my gosh, they got rich little like it was like. But I think Rich Little, if we go back to Better Off Dead, he's the one that did the Howard Cosell impersonation that they dubbed. I believe that was the that, what you that's, said. that's right. I yeah. think that's what you said during the, the last podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So so once again, another another recurring character from from Better Off Dead. But another Rich, Rich Hall as Wilbur, the gas station attendant. Um, if you didn't know it, once again, HBO, but he was on a show called Not Necessarily the News on HBO. And he was like uh, he was like a big part of that, so I recognized him immediately. He's the other guy next to uh, Taylor, Taylor Negr- Negron. Yeah, so. I, he was he was one of those like I had to look him up, but it mm-hmm. was like I know I, I saw his face and I'm like I know him from somewhere. Right, right. So that's what I recognized him from. So of course Taylor Negron, we said he was the other gas station attendant. He was also in Better Off Dead as the mailman. Been in a ton of stuff. We talked about him on Better Off Dead, and then uh, another Better Off Dead uh, repeat. Laura Waterbury, who was the French exchange student's host mother and better off dead. She played the school crossing guard at the beginning. <laughs> she didn't have all the makeup that they put her on in better off dead. So, but yeah, one of the, another one of my favorite parts is when, you know, now girls, if someone ever slaps you on the back, your faces are going to stick like that. And then <laughs> that, that then, was so great. And then the rest of the movie, they would show up with yeah, their faces yeah. stuck like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they were on the ferry. That was only the, and then yeah. I love it that it wasn't just their faces, but the cabbage patch doll face yeah. got changed too. <laughs> so it's just those those little things that Savage does. That's just the sight gags. Like, is it the beginning when uh, Hoops is doing his first cartoon drawing, and then is it his cat that goes in this like little pin, and it's got like the stuffed heads of like the squirrels and the birds that the cat has obviously killed. Oh, I missed that one. You missed that one? Yeah, it's just a little yeah. slight gag at the beginning. But it goes in this little, of, this little travel kennel or whatever. So. Oh, 
No, I just I, I wrote down something about the one of the sight gags of Joel Murray's talking about being irresponsible. Yes, yes. And there's a Christmas tree still strapped to the <laughs> the, the, the car. I'm not irresponsible. Right. The, right. The, and then you know, they're clearly the summer vacation, so like, you know. Right. It's been on the top of that car since December. And now these messages playing on a cell phone near you a show for all the manly men out there where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man featuring the coolest guests murder somebody is not like killing an ant the most gratifying laughs it's tombstone what can i say (laughs) (laughs) and a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before this will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. All right, well, let's talk iconic scenes, maybe favorite scenes, but are there iconic scenes? Any, like, you close your eyes and think about one crazy, well, you just saw it, so, uh, <laughs> for the first time and the second time. There's just a lot, of, I mean, a lot of the psych eggs that we just, we just covered, like the mm-hmm. water wings or, or the slapping, uh, you know, the slapping the face with the, you know, because there's just so, like, I, I mean, I caught a lot of it the first time. Mm-hmm. But watching it again so closely, oh yeah, like I, yeah, I was able to kind of pay attention to some of the background stuff. The the craziness of the stuff that's happening in the background of most of that movie, it's it's almost like he was just doing. And I guess I can see where the Nickelodeon thing comes from, or him being more of an animator because there's mm-hmm. so much cartoony stuff happening. In the yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Another cool thing is like this movie is PG. Like who would have thought of like a teen? You know, PG thirteen had been out for a couple of years at this point. I guess for at least a year. So, like, he still kept it PG, which would be like you know, family. I would say family friendly, pretty much. But like, I thought about my my daughter watching this with me, who's twelve, and that'd be about mm, close to the same age I was when I watched it. But like, some of the humor, like she may not get some of the humor, but it's still that same kind of adolescent humor that she would understand from like the Nickelodeon and Disney shows that she watches now so i think it i think it it works for that i think i overthought that but it's okay i do well, that but I, I think i know where you were going with it i <laughs> yeah. i agree um i would say you made reference to it in your opening but but one of my favorite scenes is uh 
when grandma's feeding them. Yes. Yes. And, you know, oh, did you enjoy everything? Yes. Mm -hmm. And she hands him a bill. Yeah. Yeah. And they all look away. Right. Like, we can't go. I I got this. Yeah. (laughs) And then one thing I noticed today on that scene is if you look at their at their plates, like George is the only one that has eaten anything like on eggs, uh, Bobcat Goldflake's plate. It's like, I don't know if he just ate the stuffing out of the pot pies because it's just the pot pie, like the crust of the pot pie on his plate. And then his brother has like a pyramid of mashed potatoes with like carefully placed green peas. So if you go back and just watch that scene, because it's just like one, it's a background thing. Like you're, you're not, it's not what you're supposed to, it's not where your attention is supposed to be drawn to. But today right. I just happened to look down at their food and I was like, why is, and then at the end of the scene, uh, uh, Goldthwaite's brother, I can't think of his name now, but he dips his butter knife into his milk and then starts to like apply it to the mashed potatoes. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> I, I mean, some of it makes me wonder if there's maybe like, I mean, they've probably lost the footage since, since then. Oh yeah. But oh yeah. If there's some sort of like crazy director's cut. That... Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I could tell there was one, like when uh, another, another funny scene is when, Akak's dad is, I guess, with like the Boy Scout troop or whatever on the beach. And he's talking about, you know, he's giving the speech about, you know, uh, if a, a plane landed here and all the dead bodies, like you could tell that was a much longer rant because of the way it edits. There's like one clean edit there where it's like he was about to say something else, but they cut it short. It's like he probably went on for like another like five minutes, just even more out, out, outrageous and outlandish, but they probably had to trim it down. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure there's got to be some fun deleted scenes from this one that we we don't know about. Right. And, you know, because they didn't treat stuff more, right. more seriously than or not to say seriously, but like, yeah, they, you know, well, filming on actual film, they recycled a lot of it. They yeah. Necessarily yeah. store Liter- it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Literally hitting the cutting room floor. And if it gets right. swept away, it's gone forever. Yeah. Right, where now everything's digital, so you just mm-hmm. store store it in another file, and if the movie gets super popular, you pull out you know, stuff re- out. Yeah, yeah, throw another hour onto it, and release it as a supercut or something. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I did enjoy the fact that because uh, we talked about it with Better Off Dead with the brother being silent, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. almost the entire movie the sister is silent. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have her down from on my my cast list, but. Uh, but I, yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I bothered to look her up and see if she did anything. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder because we're my, my we were, we caught the tail end of the Great Outdoors. It was on one of the cable channels this weekend, and you know they had the twin girls, the twin redhead right. girls, and, and I wondered if it was the same girl. But when I watched it, I was like, that can't be the same girl. They're too close together. They don't look that much alike. But um, but yeah, but the same thing where she 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 has a few speaks at the very end nothing at the beginning of the movie but yeah but as far as for me for iconic scenes i had three i was i was taking notes this time the three scenes that i I automatically think of is my first one is one of my favorite scenes too is when bobcat's character gets stuck in the godzilla suit and comes with the party with the you know and and maybe think you know uncle lewis or the you know the the grandfather whatever he's always throwing his stogie like in Christmas Vacation, he throws a stogie and sets the Christmas tree on fire. Yeah. And this one, he throws a stogie, which is barely lit. I'm like, why would you throw away a just lit stogie 
at your own party and it lands in the Godzilla mask, which makes the mask smoke. And then he comes out and he's crushing the little village thing. And what I love is that the Asian banker is like loving it. Like he's like, this is so great. Like it's a tribute to Tokyo, like, you know. He He's like, this party is lame. And then Godzilla comes yeah. out and destroys it. And he's like, this <laughs> is the greatest party ever. Right. And then Teddy's dad starts choking him. Like, why are you choking the, the bank man? He he's loves this. Why are you doing this? So, yeah. A few things that don't make sense. I still love the movie, but a few things that don't make sense. Um, and then the other one, which I guess would be the most iconic scene, is when Hoops finally makes the shot to fix the sail on the boat. Like, I remember that scene as a kid. Like, for the first time, I was like, oh, my gosh, he finally did it. You know, it's like, of course, it's a totally overused trope now. I'm sure, I'm sure it was at that point. But seeing it for the first, as a kid for the first time, I was like, oh, it's so cool. He he finally made the shot. I like that scene. And then... Um, <laughs> I love this as part of this movie and it's so insequential or it, 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 if you took it out, it wouldn't take anything away from the story, but I love the George's uncle trying to win the radio station contest because if you were alive in the eighties, that was so real. Like there was always this one, you know, you've got to be the, you know, 100th caller or the ninth caller or the seventh caller, whatever. And it's like, you know, the million dollars, not so much, but like it was whatever concert ticket or whatever. And they still uh-huh. do this stuff now. But there was something about in the 80s where winning a radio contest was like winning a million dollars. And so yeah. and so him like waiting and like the scene where he's like, uh, like trying to get in the bathtub is like, it could be any minute. It could be any minute now. When you hear this jingle, it might be now, but it's not. And it's like just this going back and forth was hilarious. Yeah. It, again, it was one of the throwaway, like kind of behind the seat, like you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, at graduation, when it was generic high school. Generic, yeah, generic high, and generic elementary school when they pick up the sister. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was great because it was like they didn't even try to make up a name. They just literally were like, yeah, generic yeah. high school. Yeah, yeah. I had I had the same thoughts. Like, just it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, and then and then I love that graduation. And this is crazy. Their graduation scene when they all throw up their hats for the cap and gown, and then it comes down and the guy next to hoops and it stabs in the back. And like when I was at high school graduation, like that flashed in my head, like when I throw this up, is it gonna kill somebody? You know, so <laughs> highly impossible or Ill, highly unlikely, but those things get stuck in our mind. But but going back to the radio station scene or the radio contest, like the hilariousness at the end, at the very end of the movie, to show him finally making it, like getting through. And then being so excited, he yanks the phone cord out of the wall and gets disconnected. I remember laughing so hard at that because that was like, and I think because my dad was really big into into sweepstakes things when I was a kid. So I was like, that seemed like a dad thing. Like that would be my dad. He would finally get the thing. He'd finally win and then lose all in the same moment. So I just thought that was hilarious. All right. Well, I was just checking my notes here. So I I don't really have any iconic scenes because like I didn't yeah. grow up with the movie, right? Um, right. But uh, I have the uh, when the girls come up and ask him to move the boat, and Egg's like, "That sounds like work." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't do that. It's only work. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. And then uh, I love when you know, of course, it wouldn't be an '80s movie without a musical montage. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I was gonna talk about uh, the montage too. Yep. Uh, you had so, and then when so they're going to christen the boat, and he's got that that paper. <laughs> bag and you think it's going to be this big bottle yes, and he pulls yes. out one of those little airplane bottles yes and then i hands love it to that. her 
hands it to her, and then she punches a hole in the boat with it. Right, right. Oh, I, yeah, I love, I love that scene. That, yeah, that, yeah, that scene made me laugh pretty hard. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite lines: George is reading the newspaper on the beach. Do you ever notice that people die in alphabetical order because he's reading the obituaries? And I just like. I, I, I meant to write that down. I yeah, forgot. It's such a throwaway lie, but it was so funny to me. It was like, that is, that is hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah. I, I forgot to write that down, but I, I did catch that. I, I was laughing pretty hard about that one. <laughs> or when he's at the graduation, he's like, yeah, we, we finally made it. We, we unlearned our studies, you know, and he said, what is this word? That's your last name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this this is one of those movies that I feel like you have to watch a bunch because like even just watching it the second time, I was like, and I I missed that first time. Yeah. I that oh movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so rewatchable. That's why I said I think this is this is one of those movies like I want to watch it every summer just because it it yeah it has a nostalgia for me, but it's such a funny movie, and it's just a fun movie. I mean, it's, it it doesn't take itself too seriously, but this one's just it's just funny. You know, it's just yeah. just a funny zany movie. Like I said. I love it as much as I love Better Off Dead, but I think Better Off Dead is executed a little bit better. And I thought it was probably because Savage had more time to like tinker and like clean some things up. Uh, where with this one, I think there were there are a few things about it that just kind of weren't as I won't say executed as well, but just weren't as clean in the edits and stuff. They're still funny, but there's some some stuff is just like it's funny to be funny, but it doesn't have a logic behind it, like the. Uh, like it's funny the uh, uh, the Boy Scouts team uh, for the uh, the plane crash, but then all of a sudden Lane and uh, I'm sorry, calling him Lane. It's not Lane. Uh, Hoops and the blonde girl I can't remember her name now, uh, but they show up at the beach at the same time and he falls down and they all wrap him up with the gauze, which they wrap him in like you know five seconds. I mean she just turns around and he's already like mummified, and then you know she runs out and runs into Teddy and then. George finds uh, hoops, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, uh, Egg in the Godzilla suit is chasing the kids. So it's like, I know you have to do it that way, but it's like there's not much logic of how that all kind of came about. So no, yeah, I mean there there was a lot of like jumps in in either logic or just mm-hmm. time. I did notice one thing, and I don't I, when he fired up the chainsaw when they were going to cut up the car. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. first off. I, as somebody who works on stuff, uh, <laughs> you would never use a chainsaw to cut up a car. Um, right, right. It would tear the second, chainsaw, right? In a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> but secondly, the chain never moves. Like he fired it up, and, he's, <laughs> and, and the chain is not like right, it, it, right. You know, which, safety reasons. Safety reasons, and it, it's the same way. Like if you go to like a haunted house, either the chain mm-hmm. is not on the chainsaw at all. Right, or, or, or they or they've disabled it so that it can't move at all, so that you're not just flailing around alive. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, you know, safety first. But yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this was I, it. Kind of makes me sad that he did go to TV mm-hmm. because, like, I would have loved to see what he did with other. I, I, I'm guess I don't. You know, you have to you know say it one way or the other, but I don't think he's done a lot of movies since. No, he did uh, How I Got Into College, which I have seen only probably once. I need to do this one that I would go back and watch again. I think that was the last one he did. I think that was in 89. Yeah, but ever after that, it was all the TV stuff that he's done. Yeah, because I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed both of those, both of those 
his first two movies. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes me sad that he didn't do anything more. else yeah. more. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe maybe the popularity you're bringing him with Better Off Dead and hopefully now with One Crazy Summer will reignite his passion to develop and direct some movies. Yeah, well, I was going to save it till the end, but I'll since you're bringing it up. So in a 2016 interview, he said that he was doodling with Bobcat Goldthwaite on a semi-sequel to One Crazy Summer. He said, our lives are just really different, but I still love, I still love Bob and we got to do this thing. So we're working on One Epic Fall was the working title. Of course, Joel Murray is going to be in it. The question is how we make it a sequel when Cusack's not going to be in it. We have so many bad, dumb, great jokes we're piecing together to see if we can pull it off. I don't think Demi would be on board, but with Joel, Bobcat, and Curtis, you've already got a trifecta of genius there. So there was some talk in 2016. I haven't heard anything else since then, but uh, maybe he was trying to start something back up. I thought you had said during Better Off Dead, you had uh, said that uh, John Cusack and Savage Steve kind of, make, you know, yeah. for lack of a better term, kissed and made up. Right, know? right. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that, 2016, it might not, maybe hadn't happened yet. So when he did the interview, or you yeah. know, they may have made up, but he's not going to want to be in another one of his movies. Could do a little, little trivia things, we'll start wrapping it up. So the little teddy bear that George's grandmother gives to his sister is the same little teddy bear that Lane has a gift for Beth in Better Off Dead. Never would okay. have thought of that, but just, you know. Savage Steve did the animation for the film like he did for Better Off Dead. He was upset that film critics Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert roasted Better Off Dead. The two animated bunnies that get blown up at the end of this movie bear a strong and not accidental physical resemblance to the movie critics. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of hard not to notice that one, so... Uh, but not a whole lot of trivia for this one. I did write this down. That was interesting. The working title for this movie was Greetings from Nantucket. But they went with One Crazy Summer instead, which I think One Crazy Summer is a better title. Yeah, it's probably a better title. Any other scenes you want to talk about? Uh, no, no, I've pretty much got everything from my uh, my list here. So Okay. Well, let's talk about box office and critical reception and uh, get out of here in the next seven minutes. <laughs> So One Crazy Summer was released on August 8, 1986. It debuted in fourth place behind three sequels. Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, was in third place. Karate Kid Part 2 was in second place. And Aliens was in first place for the second week in a row. Stiff competition. One Crazy Summer did end up out-earning Better Off Dead by about $3 million, but it still wasn't a hit. But what helped One Crazy Summer and Better Off Day reach 80s flick cult status was when HBO and video stores got a hold of the movies, which we talk, definitely talked about uh, back with Better Off Dead. The, I mean, video stores and HBO saved these movies from being totally forgotten, and I'm thankful for that. So Rotten Tomatoes has it at 45% on a tomato meter with a 63% audience score. IMDb is a 6.3 out of 10 with a 47 on Metacritic. So they're really, for, you know, for once, they're kind of both about the same, but too low from my opinion. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And rewatchability. I mean, I'd still rank this one with Better Off Dead as a high 80s, low 90s. I mean, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it's still fun and worth rewatching. I would agree with that. All right. Any final thoughts on this one? Again, I, you know, I think it's based solely on which one you see first. Yeah. I think I like Better Off Dead more. Yeah. I did really like it. So I'm glad I finally watched it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I, like like I said. I think it's, I think it's cool that it's it's they're they're different enough. Like maybe seasonally, 
like better off dead in the winter, one crazy summer in the summer. I may be interested in one day just to watch them back to back and see, like, I wonder if I watched them back to back, how my feelings would change. Maybe we'll try that experiment at some point. Maybe. So, so what's going on with uh, pop culture roulette? What you guys got going on? Right now we're just, we're, we're really hitting the, the, the planning stage heavy on, on our 31 for 31 in October. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's coming up. So I've, I'm kind of locking in some of my movies for my horror through the decades section. Okay. Uh, for, for my eighties one, I think I'm doing puppet master cause I've never seen that one. Yeah. I've never seen that one. We're, we're locking that stuff in. We just, uh, and then we got, I got something big that I'm working on that I haven't really told them about. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, so when, when I get, it's, it's going to be like probably three or four episodes of, of, uh, a lot. It's a lot of work. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting, but it's, it's, um, debating various different characters or different actors playing the same character. Oh, okay. So, Sounds you know, just to, just to kind of tease that a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we're we're just we're doing our normal stuff right now. Nothing real special coming out because we're you know because we're gearing up for the big thing in October. So mm-hmm. yeah, I understand that. Well, cool. We'll definitely check out Pop Culture Roulette if you haven't already. And of course, you always hear their uh, commercial on the podcast. But but give them a listen. So, Arwa, thanks so much for being a part, Nicholas. Always good to have you on. I know we'll have you on again in the future. We'll find another, uh, oh, we'll find a non-savage Steve Holland film to watch next time. Okay. Or Jean-Claude Van Damme. We've done a couple, but we'll find something else to watch, I'm sure. All right. Well, as long as Curtis Armstrong is in it. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Once again, don't forget to check us out on social media platforms. Visit the website. Uh, support the podcast. Uh, check out how to do that in the show notes. That's what it is. For 80s Flick Flashback, I'm Tim Williams. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.